Well, please uh, open your Bibles to Proverbs, as you see the text there, Proverbs 23. Open your bulletins to page 10, uh, and not, 10 and 11. And take your hymnals. Got a lot of work to do here this morning. <laughs> Keep you busy. You won't be able to sleep, at least not at the beginning, because we've got too much going on. Let me start by saying we've sort of taken this sermon a little bit out of the order we had planned because. This is the fifth commandment, and I have next week to do the fourth commandment again. We're going to do two sermons on the fourth commandment, Nick doing it last week and me doing next week. But because of being Father's Day, we wanted to give attention to the fifth commandment today and to its uh, special application for this special occasion. So we're looking at number five, and we take our hymnals, and we read what it says, because we'll have a different text this, of course, comes from Exodus 20, the text does, uh, in, in, that is quoted here, and Deuteronomy chapter 5. But we're going to look at page 600 and 874. Questions 63, 64, and 65. 63, 64, and 65. I'll read the bold. And you respond, please, with the, with the lighter colored print. Page 874, 63, 64, and 65. Which is the fifth commandment? The fifth commandment is, Honor thy father and thy mother, that thy days may be long on the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. What is required in the fifth commandment? And what is forbidden in the fifth commandment? The fifth commandment All right, before we read the text, let us pray then together. Father, thank you for our parents, living and dead, righteous and unrighteous, faithful and unfaithful. You have used them in our lives. You have given us life, and in many cases, they have shown us the way to new life in Jesus Christ. We pray today as we consider them and just your word that you would guide us in helping us to strengthen our families and to please you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now to Proverbs 23 and a couple of sections there. First at verse 12 through 16, and then 22 through 25. This is God's word. Apply your heart to instruction and your ears to the words of knowledge. Do not withhold discipline from a child. If you punish him with the rod, he will not die. Punish him with the rod and save his soul from death. My son, if your heart is wise, then my heart will be glad. 
My inmost being will rejoice when your lips speak what is right. Verse 22. Listen to your father who gave you life. And do not despise your mother when she is old. Buy the truth and do not sell it. Get wisdom, discipline, and understanding. The father of a righteous man has great joy. He who has a wise son delights in him. May your father and mother be glad. May she who gave you birth rejoice. This fifth commandment shares something in common with all the others. The Ten Commandments sometimes vex us because we can't remember which one is which, but we really only have to remember one thing, submission. Starting with the first and all the way through the tenth, they are a variation on the theme of submission. You shall have no other gods before me. Though many other may seem attractive to you, and though many other people may be having other gods, you shall have no other god before me. You shall subordinate yourself. You shall submit yourself to that truth. You shall not make unto yourself any images. Though you may be finding those appealing in some way, you don't do it. Thirdly, don't take my name in vain. Fourthly, observe the Sabbath day. Well, i got other things I would rather do. You break the Sabbath when you don't submit to him and subordinate your desires to him. So running all the way across the Ten Commandments is the same thing. This morning we look at the fifth. And the scriptures are clear. We are to honor our father and mother. But what if they don't deserve it? But what if I don't agree with them? But what if they've made some grievous errors? There are no qualifications here. Honor your father and mother. Clearly, a call to submission against what you might ordinarily do if you are at odds with them, or against just the simple laziness of our hearts which says, yeah, I take them for granted. They've always been there. Nothing special. No. He says, deliberately subordinate and submit yourself to this order that I've created. You have a mother and father. Live, live in submission to them. We say these words in a time of what's generally agreed to be decline in our country regarding social disorder, as I say in the outline. A consensus is growing that something is wrong with this country. This past week, of course, was a horrific event with the assassination of a congressman and the indelicacy of our public debates. Many reasons for this, racism, family breakdown, economic needs, all kinds of drugs and alcohol abuse, all that stuff. This morning we're going to look at one of the remedies that scriptures give us for our social disorder and decline. It speaks of the family in the context that God gave it. The family is something that was his idea. It wasn't invented by sociologists or anthropologists. It was done and brought together in the scriptures as the basic unit of society with a father and a mother, male and female, coming together in marriage and either by adoption or by procreation having children given to them by the Lord. I want to submit to you, just in summary today, this is for fathers as well as for children, that the two things a family does, the two most important things that fathers and mothers are there for with the children, 
is to show you that you are loved, to cast into your life the love of God. God loved his only son, and we are to love our children. We are to love them so much that they learn self-respect, that they are not abused physically or by words, not depreciated, not cut down, not diminished, not overly scolded. One of the main reasons that fathers are in this world is to teach their children that they are so loved that they may learn self-respect. They bear the mark of God. They have the dignity of being made in the image of God. And that dignity must not be diminished. Paul says to the Ephesians, do not exasperate your children. Do not tear them down. You are in a position of authority and strength, at least for most of their lives in formation. Do not use that opportunity to destroy, diminish, or degrade what God has done. One of the main purposes of a family is so that you may know you are loved and thereby learn self-respect. Secondly, the family shows you how to submit your personal needs to the needs of the whole. And here we get some of this in the very words of the text from Exodus 20. Honor your father and mother. What does that mean? It means submit to them. It means praise them. It means obey them. It means serve them. It means respect them. It means lift them up and pray for them. If we didn't have parents, it would be much harder to learn how to subordinate our needs to the life of the whole. But the parents, you see them going about their business and they're saying, this is a unit. We have a lot of concerns here. There are many pieces in this family. We've got to get a lot of things done and accomplished around the house. We need your help. We can't do it without you. We are a team. We are mutually supported. A small picture of the body of Christ, which God calls, he says, the family is, the church is like a family where people subordinate and submit and serve to one another. Implicit in this fifth commandment is that there is a tie established between also between family and society. If you, throughout the scriptures, you read about a rebellious child, particularly in the Old Testament, how was the rebellious child treated? The community acted. The community came. The community got involved. And particularly when a child became so rebellious that their parents couldn't handle them anymore, they were to go to the community for assistance. The tie is established between the family and society. And the church is early on and understood this. If you take your bulletin and turn to the cover, you will hear the words of a Gentile and an unbeliever. In the very first, in the late second century AD, this, these words he wrote. Christians are indistinguishable from other men, either by nationality, language, or customs. With regard to dress, food, and manner of life in general, they follow the customs of whatever city they happen to be living in, whether it is Greek or foreign. And yet there is something extraordinary about their lives. Like others, they marry and have children, but they do not destroy them. They share their meals with others, but not their wives. They live in poverty, but they enrich many. 
They are totally destitute, but possess an abundance of everything. They suffer dishonor, but that is their glory. They are defamed, but vindicated. A blessing is their answer to abuse. Deference is their response to insult. What high praise from a Gentile unbeliever who was carefully watching what was going on. And from the beginning, the family was the strong unit of the church, and it was evident by seeing them in action that there was a God in heaven. Fifth commandment is the first on the second half of the law. You know, Moses had the two tablets, and the first four pertain to our relationship with God. This is the first on the second side of the tablets, five through ten, which pertain to our relationship with others, the more horizontal relationships. And so now we take up the question of the family. But we do it within the context of Deuteronomy 29, 29, which says that we may follow all the words of this law. We say, yes, but, and we make excuses. He says, do it. Just do it. No, no stuttering, no incomplete or inaccurate or, fa or vague speech. But what is a family? Let's review a couple things. First of all, there's a lot of confusion about this. In this day of uh, almost elimination of genders, and a strong desire to reconstruct a family, what is the purpose of a family? It's a learning community built on a covenant a binding commitment of lifetime loyalty. It's a learning community. People come into this world as sinners, every single one of us. And if we're going to learn submission, it'll have to be taught to us. If we're going to be taught right from wrong, it's going to have to be instructed to us. And so throughout the entire Old Testament, time and time and time again, there is the illustration, as in Deuteronomy 5 and 6, to teach your children these things. Make sure they understand it. What it is not is a place just for control or emotional warmth only. We have a job to do. And we aren't given children so that we may just control them and tell them what to do all the time. Of course that has to happen part of the time. But that's not the purpose of the family. That's not its highest moments. Its highest moments is when mom and dad are teaching and giving discipline to the children. It's based on a lifetime of covenant loyalty. Verse 25, may your mo mother and father be glad. May she who give you birth rejoice. Verse 22, listen to your father. Listen to your father who gave you life and do not despise your mother when she is old. I don't know about you, but I often had trouble with this growing up as my teenage years especially. My dad and I clashed a lot. He always won. He was usually right. But this was, for me, the hardest of the Ten Commandments to keep when I began to learn what they were. Because I just dis disagreed and sometimes disobeyed. But verse 22 tells me to listen to my father who gave you life and do not despise your mother when she is old. In other words, not just when you're little, not just when you're an infant, not just when you're a toddler, 
but all through life, children, teenagers, young adults are called to a certain level of honoring and obeying one's parents. It's a learning community, and one of the things most important that we learn is to listen, to submit, and to obey. Now, a real family, as I say in the outline, can also include adoption. It doesn't have to be, it's not based entirely just on the blood, it's based on shared experience and commitment. As Jesus said in John 17, praying that they may all be one, he asks that we all come together as a family under his headship and obey and honor him in the same way a real family may include adoption. But it is based on the building blocks of marriage, for you are not a family until you are resting on one another in a trust relationship and a parent-child relationship. You love the child for the rest of your life, but the purposes of parenting is to get that child so it does not need you. It becomes independent on its own and can do its own thing independently of mom and dad. So it's a teaching and learning community, verse 15. My son, if your heart is wise, then my heart will be glad. If, you, if I learn from you as a parent, if you learn from me as a parent, and you therefore attain wisdom, my heart will be glad. One major reason why God created families is to teach the children right from wrong. People will say these days, well, I'll let them learn that when they're older. What they're saying is, I'll let them learn that the hard way. For there are certain rules in the way this world works. As John Adams, president, said, facts are stubborn things. And there are certain things that certainly must be taught. And so he says in verse 12, apply your heart to instruction and your ears to words of knowledge. That's for the parents and the children. Apply your hearts to instruction. Parents, we have a responsibility to teach, to let them know to let them hear. No, we can't force them. God has to do that by his spirit. But we can let them know what the Bible says. And that is one of our greatest callings. In so doing, verse 13, do not withhold discipline from a child. If you punish him or her with the rod, he will not die. Punish him with the rod and save his soul from death. Sometimes it's necessary. And to preclude all corporal punishment from the father and child relationship is a dangerous thing, the Bible says. It's not an inhumane thing. So the purpose of parenting is to teach right and wrong, to get your children in the, to the place where, they see, where you can see that their heart is wise, where they don't have to listen as they did as a little child because they've learned and they've adopted the things that you've taught them. They don't need your authority anymore in the same way. So a warning as we continue. Your children will lose respect for you if you do not teach them what they later learn is right or wrong. We don't want this aha moment coming later. We said, why didn't you tell me it was wrong to lie? Why didn't you punish me when I lied? Why didn't you give me consequences when I lie? 
Why did you just allow a lying to be a family thing, you know, sort of inside the home? That's what we do. We lie to one another. That's a bad moment. That's a, that's a moment that strains the relationship between parents and child. Your children will lose respect for you if you do not teach them what they later learn is right or wrong or what you really believe. Again, people will say, I'll let them believe what they want when they get older. Why didn't you tell me there was a God? Why didn't you tell me there was such a thing as right and wrong? Why didn't you tell me that I should do this and not do that? Why did you keep that from me? Why didn't we read the Bible more? Why didn't you take me to church so that I may hear these things from others too? Your children will lose respect for you if they see hypocrisy and inconsistency in what you teach and do yourself. So one of the great functions of a parent as they receive honor and respect from the child is the function of instruction to teach them specifically right and wrong. The truth and falsehood. So how does a family operate? Secondly, parents must do two things. They must teach with discipline, verse 14, punish them with the rod and save his soul from death, and love, verse 24, the father of a righteous man has great joy. He who has a wise son delights in him, loves him, cares for him. Spare the rod and spoil the child, Martin Luther said. That's true, but beside the rod, keep an apple to give him what he's done well, when he's done well. Teach with discipline and love. If you are intentionally concerned that your children will learn right and wrong, the Lord will balance those things in your life. Love and discipline. Children must do two things. They must honor their parents, as the fifth commandment requires, which is honoring God behind your parents, and that is how you show him honor. And secondly, you honor him by growing up, by not remaining emotionally and economically and physically dependent upon your parents. No one has been parented perfectly. We don't grow up, however, by continually blaming them if they failed or idolizing them if they were very good at it. We grow up by seeing we have been perfectly loved in Jesus Christ, giving us something no parent can perfectly do. They cannot be God to you. Only God can do that. There's this little phrase in Ephesians 6 when it speaks of parents and children. And it says, parents, discipline your children in the Lord. Always under the understanding that God is watching, that he's working, that he's, he's using you to shape and mold the children's lives. But children are to hear such things too as coming from the Lord and not just from the parent. And recognizing that sometimes in disagreeing with the parent, we are actually disagreeing with God. No, the parent isn't always right and no one has ever parented perfectly, but as a child of godly parents, Christian parents, one is growing up in the Lord in them and should listen and hear and heed. So now some evaluation and application. How much time are you wasting upset that you did not get perfect parenting? That's a waste of time. It's over. 
In many cases, the parents are deceased. There's nothing that can be done about it. But to walk around saying that I have been abused and I'm, and I'm never going to get over it is, is immaturity. Dead or alive, good or evil, your parents are still controlling you. We need to replace that sense of irritation and offense with something else, with the perfect love of the Lord Jesus Christ. None of us is loved perfectly. And even if we had really good B-plus parents, we still need the love of Jesus to make up what they lacked and to overcome their failures. Come to the real Father that you can honor for sure and who can enable you to honor your parents. For to as many as received him, to as many as believed in his name, he gave them the right to become the children of God. So what should I do as a father? Seek the Lord while he may be found, and ask him to make me wise in my parenting, so that my children will then become wise. And my primary role as a father is to be a teacher, to instruct them, to take them to places of learning if I can't do it all myself, to make sure they hear the truth, to make sure they have no question about right and wrong, to make sure they understand what the Bible teaches about these things, and preeminently that they would listen. I had a man once in Nebraska tell me, he saw my little kids growing up there, and he said, I think this preacher needs some advice. So one time after a meeting, he sat me down. He said, now, when you discipline your children, this is what you should do. Sit them down in the same room with you and look directly at them and lower your voice. Take your hands, rub them back and forth so they know that there may be some consequences. but lower your voice and let them hear you speak calmly and deliberately the truth. What is it that you want them to do? This was the longest speech I ever heard this man give. He was not a man of many words, but I've never forgotten it, as you can tell. And it really helped me. My number one son was a pistol. Still is. He came into this world screaming and uh, spent most of his time doing the same since then. Strong, strong-willed, very active, had his own ideas from the beginning. First word was mine. <laughs> but I began to do as this man said. Instead of ratcheting it up, I calmly took him off to the side. We sat down and we looked at one another and I lowered my voice and I looked directly at him and I told him what I wanted him to do. I wish I could tell you that that's the magic formula for parenting. <laughs> it isn't. But it was helpful. It got his attention and it got my attention and it calmed me down Really the real purpose of, uh, he said, of rubbing your hands is not to threaten them, but to allow your anger to dissipate a bit, to work it out, and not let yourself get so upset and so uptight 
And he said, teach them. Teach them what you want them to do. They don't know. They haven't heard. They've heard all kinds of wrong things. Teach them. On the other side of the equation, children, listen. Honor. You don't know everything. One day you'll know a whole lot more than you do now, and you'll be, as this passage says, you will be wise. But only if you listen. Verse 12, apply your heart to instruction. We pay a lot of money for college tuition. And we go in the class and we listen because we want to get on the other side of this. In the same way, in the family, apply your heart to instruction and your ears to words of knowledge. Not everything your father and mother say is wrong. Let me say that again. Not everything your father and mother say is wrong. Apply your heart to their instruction. Even if they are not believers and you're a believer, they have still got some wisdom and God has placed them at some point in your life for good reason. They can teach you. And they will. So I'm very grateful for my father. He's gone now, but he certainly heard from me over the years in a critical way at times. We didn't always see eye to eye. I was much more agreeable to my mother. Maybe that's true in most cases. But I appreciate what he taught me, and he was a good teacher. And I appreciate his example and his leadership, and, and if I listen to him, as I still do hear some of the words ringing in my mind, and if I apply my heart to that instruction and my ears to words of knowledge, I find the peace of the Lord. But if you were poorly parented, if you were abused as a child, if you were degraded and diminished by a critical set of parents, or maybe just one, who constantly tore you down and told you that you would never amount to anything, just remember that Jesus died for you. And he can pour into your life the love that you've lacked. He can give you healing love that no parent could even do if they were still living. He's the perfect divine father. Let him love you. Learn to be loved by him and, and, and he will replace what you lacked as a child. He will more than compensate and make you more than conquerors through him who loved you. So you can overcome a past not forget it entirely, but overcome it because of the grace and mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ. This Father's Day, let's be glad we have a heavenly Father. And our Father Abraham, who leads us in the way of faith, that we may follow him, and that he may be pleased to continue to love us. Let us pray. Thank you, Lord, for our dads. Thank you, Lord, for the dads who are here. We as fathers have been far less than perfect, but you have compensated through our wives, through our grandparents, through others to teach us. Give our fathers wisdom, we pray, for it's a complicated and messy world. They're busy and they have many claims upon their time and affection, and parenting is never easy. So give them effectiveness 
patience. Help them not to exasperate their children, but raise them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And thank you, Jesus, that when we parent imperfectly, you make up the difference. Exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we could ask or think, you give what we need as parents to our children when we fail to do so, if we but ask. So we do ask, as children and as parents, that the Lord Jesus Christ might compensate for whatever has been lacking in our experience, so that we would know beyond a shadow of a doubt that we are loved with an everlasting love by the one who made the universe. And we have the approval, the support, and the tearful concern of the only one who matters. We may have let down our parents. We may have failed them. But we have the approval of the only one who matters, the Lord Jesus Christ. And through his blood and body, we have the forgiveness of sins and the life everlasting. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you this day, through Christ our Lord. Amen.